Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. We are coming into our conference season, our conference time. I just want to remind everyone, do whatever it takes to, to be with us at a conference. Do whatever it takes to be in an environment like that. The, the reason we would do a conference is not because we had nothing to do in February. It, it truly is. There, there's value in belief. There's strength and power in belief. And when we take time and we gather together, we have the opportunity to grow and support one another in growing in our belief, growing in our, our faith. And faith's a valuable thing, is it not? Come on, if you have your Bible with you today, would you get it ready? We're going to look at, at, at a message around this theme of belief. Uh, all month long, we're looking at this, this theme as we enter into conference, I believe. I believe. Belief's a powerful thing. Guys, belief is a powerful thing, and, and I, I tend to think that, uh, that in life, if there's one thing we could invest in, if there's one thing we could really put our, our focus in, it, it ought to be to grow in our faith. It ought to be to continue to grow our faith, to not just have a momentary experience of faith, but to have a life-giving, growing faith. I was reading the book of Jude. I love the book of Jude. Probably love it because it's short. It's only one page long, and you feel real accomplished when you finish the book of Jude. I read a whole book of the Bible. Wow. I'm just going to pour myself a second coffee and celebrate. I'm, I'm amazing. I love the book of Jude. The book of Jude... Um, you know, it was written by, by Jesus' brother, Jesus' brother Jude. So you've got Jesus' little brother Jude. What would have it been like to be Jesus' little brother Jude? Imagine like every dispute, something gets broken. Mary hears about it, says, Joseph, the kids, they broke something. Joseph walks in and goes, kids, who did it? And, you know, Jude points at Jesus. Jesus points at Jude. Who do you think they're going to believe? It's a tough one, right? And then it's like dinner time. They're like, hey, Jude, would you like to pray tonight? He's like, not really. No, it's your turn, Jude. Okay. Dear Jesus, please bless this dinner. <laughs> That's a tough job being Jude's brother. Imagine like he goes into school like, oh, you're Jesus' brother. Oh, Jesus was the most amazing student. And Jude's like, yeah, I know. He knows all things, doesn't he? Be a tough thing, right? Jude writes this book, and in this book, he, he is contending for and challenging us to be people who, who would, would, would fight for faith. Like not just fight others that they would believe, but fight for faith in our own life. This word is contend, to contend. It's like, like with intensity to tend, to care for with intensity. Make sure that faith continues to be developed and grown in our life. And he says this, I, I want to begin with this thought today, and then, uh, and then we're going to dive into a couple of stories that I think are going to help. Everyone doing all right? Fantastic. Look at this uh, book of Jude. Go down to, to verse uh, 17. It says, Dear friends, remember the, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold this. They said to you that in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. You know what a scoffer is? Scoffer, not a word we use very much. You know what a scoffer is? It's a person who's like, puh, yeah, puh, 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 scoff, scoff, scoff. Like a person who's just always got a reason to doubt. 
Haven't you found in life like we, we tend to try to support the things we already believe? Why are they scoffers? The Bible says this because they want to follow their own desires. Truth of the matter is, I, I think we tend to, it's called confirmation bias. We have something we believe to be true, and then we look for confirmation for that thing that it's always true. A scoffer says, I just want to do my own thing. And so no matter what you believe, they're like, but, because <laughs> they want to do their own thing. We do the same, don't we? We confirm our biases. If you believe Vancouver is the most beautiful city in the world, that one sunny day we had this week, you're like, ah, guys, that's why we live here. Most beautiful place on earth, am I right? And we forget we forget the, the weeks of rain because like, this is it. This is why we do it. And if you don't believe that's to be true, you find your own reasons to, to confirm your belief. He's saying there, are, there will be those who have a predisposition that they just want to do their own thing. And they will scoff at the things you believe. They will poke holes in and post Facebook blogs on your wall to try to poke holes in what you believe. Why? Because they just want to believe their own thing. Then he says this. There are those people who can divide you. If you're not careful, you know, that kind of thing can divide people. Controversies. That's why, like in the New Testament, there's often this thing. like, hey, don't get caught up in like genealogies and weird theologies, and, and don't all the ologies, like all those ologies, they're just dividing you. Like Instead, he says this, verse 20, but you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I want to challenge you, Vivid Church, let's do these things. In an era where people could scoff, in an era where we potentially could just continue to confirm the biases we always have. Let's do these things. Let's build up our faith. Let's pray spiritual prayers. Let's keep ourselves in the love of God. That right there, game-changing stuff. Keep yourself in the love of God. Do you know you can't keep yourself from falling? You can't keep yourself from sinning? You can't keep yourself from stumbling? In fact, I've found the more focus I give on doing the right thing, the more I'm just thinking about all the wrong things I'm not doing. I'm being dominated by the things I don't want to do. Anyone else ever been there? Don't do the wrong thing. Don't do the wrong thing. Don't do. What's happening? The wrong thing is dominating my thinking. Here Jude says this. Just keep yourself near God's love. Just like, just, just cuddle up close. Remind yourself that it's the love of God that keeps you anyway. It's not your effort. It's not your work. It's not your knowledge. It's not not your ability to know every answer. Just keep yourself in the love of God. It goes on to say this. Now to him who's able to keep us. Do you know God's the one that can keep you from falling? God's the one who can keep you from stumbling by his grace. God's the one who can keep us strong and fortified. What do we do? We keep ourselves near the one who can keep us. I said this last week and I believe it. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I don't know what we'll face tomorrow, but I know the one who knows. And he loves me, and Jesus is on my side, and he's, he's shown kindness, and out of the fullness of his grace, we all receive one grace after grace after grace after grace after grace. I, I don't know exactly what we're going to face, but if I can continue to grow my faith, if I can continue to develop my belief, if I can t- continue to strengthen myself in faith, we're going to get through it. Do you believe that? Now, in the midst of this, here's what Jude says. I want to park on this today. In the midst of this, he said, grow your faith. If you grow your faith, you're going to keep, your one near the, keep yourself near the one who can keep you. And then he says this, verse 23. Catch this. We're at verse 22. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. I want to speak to the doubters in the room today. 
Just be merciful to those who doubt. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask in these next few moments as we look in your word that you would allow us to grow a perspective similar to yours. That you'd shake down and, and sharpen the areas of our life where we're thinking our own kind of thoughts. Maybe even today we've come into this place with preconceived notions that we're just looking to reaffirm. Today we submit ourselves to the teaching of your word. We ask that your word would challenge us, change us, shape us, mold us, make us, break us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Hey, if you're taking notes today, really simple title today's message. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Turn to the person beside you and say, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Now you might find after saying it three times that you just got on a roll and you want to say, no doubt, 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 no doubt. You say it as many times as you need, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. You know, I think it's this interesting thing that we can tend to do is that that we we judge in others what we struggle with ourselves. You ever noticed that? Like, like the person who's making the fashion faux pas that we just stopped making, we're like, wow, wow, look at that. And like, bro, you just changed your style last week. Like, you just cut your hair a different way last week. Well, what are you doing judging those people? Isn't it crazy how we can judge people who are struggling with things we just stopped struggling with? You know, like, like, like time management, all of a sudden you become a time management expert because you bought yourself a day planner and they're like, wow, look at all these people showing up late. It's crazy. Like, no, no, you, you've showed up early for the first time and now you're judging that you're the only one here. Like, like you can't, you can't do that. Isn't it crazy, right? Like, like, like maybe, uh, maybe you just got out of a relationship and so you're single for the first time in a while and you're looking at all those people who aren't single. You're like, Wow. Wow, they just forgot all their friends. Crazy. Like, no, you did that last Valentine's Day too. Like, you isolated yourself too. Isn't it wild how we can tend to, to, to judge in others things that, that, that we struggle with ourselves? I think doubt is one of those things. I think if we're really honest, we all doubt a lot. I think if we're really truthful with ourselves, like in the quietness of our own thinking, perhaps one of the reasons why we distract ourselves so incessantly is if we're left alone with our thoughts, doubts begin to creep in. We, we begin to think things like, well, well, wait a minute. Like if, if God is good and bad things still happen, and then it's like this little alarm bell goes off, like, Warning, 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 warning. Like if you go there, there's just no answers to it. And so we're like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking those types of things. And then what we do is we notice other people who think those types of things and we say, you shouldn't be thinking those. And we begin to censor one another's doubt. See, the Bible says not to censor doubt. It says actually be merciful with doubt. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, that a doubter is simply an under-encouraged believer. Like if you're here today and you're doubting, I think you have all of the making of someone who has a desire to believe, you just need a little more encouragement. You just need a little more experience. You just need a little more mercy. And Vivid Church has to continue to be and will always contend to be the type of environment where it's okay if you have some doubts. I'm okay if you don't believe all the things I believe. I'm okay if, if in this community of people there, there, there's differing thoughts and different ideals. Let's do our best to focus on the one unifying fact, that the love of Jesus. And if we can start there, then the rest we're going to figure out along the way. If you're here today and you don't, I just, I just want to lift some of the burden off you. You're not a broken person. 
if you're a doubter today, you, 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 haven't, you haven't misstepped in any sort of way. Doubt and faith, doubt and belief are often interwoven. Like, like there is this moment where the scale is tipped and you believe a little more than you doubt. And that moment is called faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is just that tipping point where you're like, I see all of the reasons why not to believe, but now I have become convinced that I guess I do believe. I haven't stopped acknowledging that those other reasons existed and I still contend with them and I still battle with them, but, but, but I, like the scale is tipped. So I believe that Jesus is a healer and yet I, I know some people who are sick. And, and there's this balancing act taking place in my heart all the time. Is it just me? Like, I hope you can have mercy with me as your pastor that I, I have doubts that I contend with. I have debates that go on in my mind that I have still yet to resolve. But the more I keep myself near the love of God, I am finding that he is the one who is able to keep me from stumbling over my doubt. I want to look at one character in the Bible today that I think has probably, uh, you know, been given real, you know, dis, disservice or real injustice has been done to this one particular person. And his name is Thomas. Thomas in the Bible. Uh, a saying you might have heard at some point or another, doubting Thomas. You ever heard that saying? Doubting Thomas. It's a saying that, that, uh, that didn't originate in the Bible. In fact, you go looking for it, you just won't find it. The only nickname given to this guy, Thomas, in the Bible was Didymus, which means the twin. Maybe he had a twin. Maybe he had like a real familiar face. He kind of looked like other people. I don't know. But for some reason, they called Thomas Didymus, meaning the twin. They never called him a doubter. In fact, like he was anything but. Thomas was one of Jesus' 12 closest friends. Jesus in the life he, he spent on earth, he had time to convince the world that the, the mercy and kindness of God was available to all who would believe. And, and he chose this method that he would call some friends that he would spend time with and send out. That's why he appointed disciples, that he could spend time with them and then send them out. And he chose 12 amongst the various people who were like, man, Jesus, I like what he, this guy says. I like his stories. And amongst them, he's like 12 of them. He said, I want you to follow me. Would you leave everything you, you, you got going on and just come be with me? Let's spend some time. I want to empower you. I want to send you out. And amongst those guys is Thomas. Now, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, Thomas is listed just in the list of disciples. They said, and then Jesus had some friends. Their names were Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Thomas, Matthew, Judas, He's just listed that way. Nothing else is mentioned about Thomas except for in context to the whole. When it talked about the apostles or the disciples, he was great. I mean, I mean, these guys, honestly, Jesus sent them out two by two. And he said, I want you to go two by two, like in, in groups together, go into cities where no one knows about me and just explain the love of God to people and watch what happens. Sick people will be healed. People who are demonized will be set free. Those who are, are, are dying will live and people will repent and come to, to faith. And they go and they do it and it happens. Crazy. They come back like, Jesus, you'll never believe this. Demons, but like, listen to us. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's why I sent you. It's cool. And, and like these guys, these 12 were the ones who, who Jesus would explain a story. He'd say, the kingdom of God is it's like a farmer scattering seed. And everyone's like, whoa, I love farming. 
And then they'd, they'd, he'd be like, come on, bro. Come on, boys. And they'd go and they'd be like, Jesus, can you explain that farming story? He's like, yeah, I want you guys to get all of it. So let me really explain this to you. Thomas was one of those guys. Thomas was one of the people there when there was a group of 5,000 people hungry. And amongst those 5,000 people, there was only five loaves and two fish. And Thomas was one of those people who Jesus said, hey, guys, watch this. And he began to multiply food. He goes, go give the people this food. And they're like, it's crazy. The bread's multiplying. It's unbelievable. Never seen anything like this before. Thomas was one of the ones who, who witnessed Jesus reaching out and touching a leper when everyone's like, you shouldn't be doing that, Jesus. He's like, no, no, it's cool. Now they're, they're not leper anymore. They're clean. Thomas was with Jesus when he did his first miracle. They went to a wedding, and, and, and man, the wedding was awesome. It was going so good, but then, then someone was running up their bar tab so much, there was no wine left over, and Jesus' mom comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, bad news. They're out of wine. Jesus is like, yeah, not my wedding. He's like, yeah, but come on, Jesus. And then she says, my boy Jesus, he can do everything. And Jude, Jude's sitting there like, hmm. Yeah, Jesus does everything. But then Jesus turned water into wine. And he took like these, these big containers of water and they, they like just pour water in it. And then Jesus like, go serve it to people. And they drank it like, it's the greatest wine I've ever tasted. And the party turned back up. Thomas was there. Like he was there for all of this. There would be nothing within the context of those stories to assume that Thomas lacked faith. If anything, you would say Thomas is a model of faith, would you not? Like, like, like just within that, you'd say, wow, this Thomas guy's incredible. And then history would say that Thomas was the apostle who, who traveled with the gospel all the way to what is now present-day India. And he, in India, was, was the first one to bring the message of, of, of good news. And I've been to India and all across India. It's like every town you go to, like, oh, and then that there, that's St. Thomas's Mount. He was here. And he probably wasn't at all of those places, but he was such a boss that everyone wants a piece of him. Like, like everyone's like, oh, yeah, that tree, Thomas sat under that tree. Oh, that building over there, Thomas stayed at that building. He was at this place. Because he actually brought the message of the good news of Jesus to a whole people group. Like, this guy's incredible. He had incredible faith. And yet somehow, we look at Thomas, and he's referred to as Doubting Thomas. You know that reference, Doubting Thomas? The first time it was ever used was in 1883. So for about 1,900 years, everyone's like, Thomas is awesome. And then for some bitter person in 1883, he's like, no, Thomas is a doubter. I see right through him. Why? Probably because they were struggling with doubt. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a doubter like Thomas. You know, in the, in the year 1601, there was an Italian painter who drew a painting of Thomas, and he called it the incredulity of Thomas. And incredulity means the inability or unwillingness to ever believe. So I'm like, man, if, if the painter thought he had no ability to believe and some bitter person in 1883 just used the term doubting Thomas to refer to a person who's constantly negative, like, like what am I missing here? I want to look in the Bible and find what does it say about Thomas as it pertains to doubt, even though we know we should be merciful to, to doubters. What does it have to say about Thomas? Well, there's three stories about Thomas. I'm going to show you all three real quickly. And I, I, I think... All three of these stories, you're going to look at them and say, oh, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Like, there's really none there. You look and you say, that, that, if that's doubt, man, we should be more merciful towards that. Let's look first, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I, I, I feel bad for Thomas. I think we're going to get to heaven and we're like, Tom, bro, I'm so sorry. I don't know why you got a bad rap. Like, you were one of Jesus' boys. Like, you were one of his best friends. You did all this. You took a message to India. And then in 1883, we just started, like, like throwing serious shade. Sorry. 
We were not merciful to the doubters. Check this out. Uh, John chapter 11. In this story in John, Jesus has just received word that his friend Lazarus has died. Jesus is a close friend with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus has has died. And he, he speaks in a euphemism here like we can tend to do around sad things. He's speaking to his disciples. John chapter 11. And, uh, and starting at verse 11, says this. After he had said this, he went and told his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go to him and wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking, however, of his death, but his disciples thought he just meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, No, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Can someone say believe? Say you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, now check this. Check this out. It's possible in a scenario like this, like something terrible had happened to Lazarus. And Jesus is saying that terrible thing that happened to Lazarus was actually good for you. Could it be possible in our life, just a side thought, that the things that we're going through right now that are terrible could be good for someone else? Like, could it be possible that we're going through some pain and it seems unfair and unjust and it's leaving us doubting, like Mary and Martha may have been, going, why did Jesus let Lazarus die? Big picture, Jesus is coming to raise Lazarus from the dead and it was good for the disciples to see that he had power. In a moment like this, it was not simply this guy's a good teacher, this guy has good stories, this guy, he, you know, he, he, gets, he, he understands the, the, the law and the Bible. No, no, no. He has power over death. Could it be possible? Just a free thought. The thing you're walking through right now, God, where are you? Maybe he's working a plan that's actually going to be good for a whole bunch of people. And so into this, now the reason that they didn't want to go, thanks so much, the reason he didn't want to go is where Lazarus was, there was people who hated Jesus. And him just being there could have caused all sorts of chaos. In fact, it may have cost them their life. And so the disciples are trying to talk Jesus down from his radical stance, like, I'm going to my friend, I'm going to the funeral, and we're going to turn that funeral into a party. Like, yeah, but Jesus, like, he's just sleeping. He'll probably wake up. He's like, no, 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 you guys don't get it. This is for your sake. I want to develop more faith in you. We're going through whatever we have to face because faith is worth the fight. And to that, we see Thomas. Okay, First reference to Thomas outside of just listing that he was awesome. It says this, uh, Thomas' reply, verse 16. Then Thomas, who is known as Didymus, which means the twin, said this to the rest of the disciples. Come on, let's also go that we may die with him. He's like, whatever the cost, I want my faith to grow. Whatever the cost, however uncomfortable it is, I want my faith to go. Let's go with Jesus. Let's go to Lazarus. Even if it costs us our life, I'm in. Now, does that look like a doubter to you? Thinking about it? You can answer. Does that look like a doubter to you? To me, that looks like what faith looks like. Now, moments before, he would have been amongst the disciples saying, but Jesus, come on, bro. Do we have to go to that uncomfortable place? Like he was expressing some doubt. Uncomfort is uncomfortable. Danger doesn't sound fun. Can we avoid pain? Is it possible to just not do hard things? But when Jesus said, no, this hard thing you're going to go through is to grow your faith. He's like, I'm in. I'm in. Cost me my life. I'm in. And he turns to the his fellow doubters. He's like, guys, 
come on, even if it costs us our life, I'm going. Let's do this thing. Now, that to me doesn't look like doubt. That looks to me like, like we've just experienced Thomas's tipping point where he went from doubt to faith. And maybe you're here today and you find yourself on, on the first part of that equation where you're like, man, following God looks sort of hard. Loving, loving Jesus just seems kind of difficult. It, it, it seems like it could cost me something. It seems like there's a sacrifice. If I have to live, you know, expecting that there's a moral code, uh, like a God who can be pleased. You know what it says in Hebrews, by the way, that without faith you can't please God because you have to believe that he is and he rewards those who seek him. It's like, man, that just seems hard. I got to like put my faith in someone I can't see and then believe that he's actually good. And like, maybe you're in that tension. And then you feel condemned for doubting. Or maybe a Christian person has, has been like, you shouldn't be saying things like that. I'm sorry if that's happened to you. Because we ought to be merciful with those who doubt. Because there's a tipping point coming. And that tipping point is simply to say, you know what, even if it costs me, I want to grow in faith. And maybe you're here today like, man, obedience would be so difficult. But as soon as you can make that, that step where you say, even if it costs me, I want to grow in faith. You have just transitioned from a doubter to a believer. That's why I see in Thomas, poor Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. I see some incredible faith there. The birth of faith, the, the early stages of this crazy faith that he would turn to the other 11 and say, guys, even if it costs us our life, I want to grow in faith. Reference number two, turn with me a couple pages over, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, it's wild the things people believe, isn't it? It's wild the things that people will be willing to believe, to support the opinion that they already had. I saw this week there, there's a, a British, um, a British uh, planet, planetologist, I don't know, studies the planets, studies the stars and the skies. And, and uh, she is now, Monica Grady is her name, and she said yesterday, it is now a racing certainty that on the, the moon Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons, that there are creatures similar to octopus underneath the frozen surface of the ice. She said it's certain. It has to be. The reason she bases that on is that a satellite that was passing by noticed that there was a presence of sodium chloride on that planet. Like, oh, table salt? Man, there must be octopuses there. I think that's awesome. It's like she wants to find something. She's like, oh, yeah, they found salt. If there's salt, there's got to be octopus, right? Like, yeah, that's some starry calamari out there. I look and I just see, you know, you see salt, I see octopus. You know, I think that's an unbelievable thing. And then she said this, and, and, and if, if by chance we find out that there's nothing else out there, then I guess it's our responsibility to take care of the planet. I'm like, hold up, hold up. You're telling me that if there's octopus out there, it's no longer our responsibility to take care of the planet, that we're going to leave it to the octopus on, on the moon Europa? Anyway. I was humored. I thought that was unbelievable. It's funny the things that people would go like, this proves that and that proves this. But, but here's Thomas. And he's like, hey, I just, like, I want to know that the sacrifice is worth it. If the sacrifice is worth it, I'm in. And then we see now in John chapter 14, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and, and they're, they're around the table. This is the night he's going to the Father. And he's been explaining it. And he's like, guys, I've, I've tried to explain this as clearly as I can. Like, I am going to die. But when I die, don't worry. I'm going to the Father. I'm making a place for you. And then you can come with me. And he, like he's been setting this up and, and telling it through story. His entire friendship, their, their entire relationship has been contingent on this very purpose. And he goes, I'm going to the Father. And then you can follow me. 
And then here's Thomas, okay? He asks a question. Second time we see Thomas mentioned, John chapter 14 and verse 5. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I mean, I think that's actually a pretty good question, right? Like Jesus, he had just said this, I'm going to the Father, but you know the way. And he goes, actually, uh, we don't know the way. So, like, want to follow you. I just got questions. Anyone else here have questions? Like, yeah, I want to. Hey, be awesome if God's a healer. That would be amazing. I want to believe I just got lots of questions. Like, it would be amazing if God still spoke to people. Like, if prophecy is real and God actually still speaks to people, woo, that'd be awesome. I got some serious questions. It would be amazing if what the Bible says is true, that if you refresh others, you will yourself be refreshed, and, like, God's keeping track, and God's going to bless those who bless others. That'd be amazing. I got some serious questions about that. And so Thomas, he's got the, the, the guts to just ask the question. And then Jesus' answer to him is this. He says, oh, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. If you really know me, then you also know my Father. So from now on, you do know him. You have seen him. And Jesus answers Thomas's question with, with this like really empowering, affirming answer. Thomas is like, oh, I just don't think I understand. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you know me? We're good. There's not going to be some crazy test beyond that. Just know me. If you know me, then you know the Father. And he answers the question. Now, you might be here and you go, I got so many questions. And you're equating that as doubt. And because you equate that as doubt, or maybe you've asked the question to someone, you're like, I'm just trying to understand creation, okay? Can I just, like, if Genesis 1-1, how many days are we talking? I don't understand how that lines up with carbon dating. And I don't understand. And, And you ask questions. And then someone's like, hey, 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 hey. You shouldn't be asking that. Don't doubt. I mean, first of all, it's not a merciful stance to have, and I'm sorry that you experienced that. But secondly, like, good on you for asking those questions. You're on your way to growing in wisdom. I think so often, like, we are intimidated by questions because we don't readily maybe know some answers. And so instead of how cool and empowering would it be if we just answered questions with, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Let's try to figure it out together. Like, is it, isn't that how we ought to be as a community? It's a great question. Man, I thought you said Jesus healed. My grandma died. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Sorry that your grandma died. Let's try to figure that one out together. And if we never figure it out together, let's keep on just like living in that tension. And maybe there's a more simple answer than we thought was there if we just stay in that mode where we ask some questions. I think it's great to ask questions. There's no such thing as stupid questions. I was reading this week Ashton Kutcher. He has become one of the most prolific investors like in the Hollywood scene amongst amongst celebrities. He invests in a bunch of businesses in Silicon Valley. And uh, someone asked him, like, how have you invested? What has been sort of your key? And he said there's two things. First of all, invest in what you know. Secondly, ask a lot of stupid questions. Man, that's kind of interesting. Doesn't that sort of pertain to faith? What we really should build our faith on is what we know. Like really, let's focus on what we know. I do not understand everything about the future, but I know God loves me. Like like I have experienced his love. So I'm going to start with what I know. 
And then I'm going to ask as many stupid questions as come to mind so I can start knowing more things. Be a great way to grow faith, wouldn't it? Say, I, I don't understand everything. Okay, but did, I mean, like, honestly, what kind of whale swallowed Jonah? Like, what whale does that? And how did he live in that stomach for three days anyway? And how do we know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Great question. There's a few things I do know. I'm going to live in what I do know, and then let's keep asking those questions. Let's grow in faith. So is this Thomas the doubter? No, I think this is Thomas transitioning from doubt to faith. He asked the question that others were thinking. He put words to that question. And then 1,900 years later, people are wow, wow, Thomas, you didn't know Jesus was the way, truth, and life? No, because he hadn't said it yet. You know what I mean? Like, let's ask those questions. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you've been condemned for asking questions. Like you having questions does not make you a bad person at all. You're actually on your way to wisdom. You're on your way to developing faith. Continue to contend in that faith. Grow in that faith. Pray those spiritual prayers and keep yourself near the love of God. Let's look at the third story. Now, probably this is the story where Thomas's incredulity is most exposed. Like this is the one they're talking about when they say doubting Thomas. Okay, Jesus has just now gone to the cross. He's died. On the third day, he rose again. The stone was rolled away, and Jesus appears to the disciples. But it just so happens that Thomas wasn't with them when it happened. Look at this. John chapter 20, in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus the twin, was one of the twelve, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now, have you ever, have you ever skipped out on something and then your friend's like, bro, oh my goodness, you missed out. It was crazy. Like, like Thomas is like, I'm just, I'm a morning guy, you know, I need my sleep. And like, no, 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 you missed out. He's like, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if your friend's like, good call going to bed early. The rest of the party sucked anyway. But instead, like, oh man, craziest thing. And, and so they're like, Thomas, you'd never believe. We saw Jesus. And Thomas, I think, responds with like a super rational thing. Like as much as these were his buddies, his response is pretty rational and maybe the one I would have too. What, here's what he says. Uh, yeah, unless I see him and I see the nail marks in his hands and I can like put my fingers there and I can put my hand in his side, I don't believe you. He's just like, like honestly, guys, that's cool for you. I know you think you saw Jesus. But unless I can experience him, I can't just take your word for it. Like, unless there can be, like, a a personalized experience. Like, he had been with the disciples when they were in the boat in the storm, and Jesus had come walking on the water, and they had thought he was a ghost. Like, remember when we thought Jesus was a ghost? Maybe you saw a ghost and thought it was Jesus. Like, unless I can actually experience him, I I don't want to just, like, take your word for it. And I think that's kind of a a fair place to be. In fact, I think salvation is not to be just understood, it's to be experienced. And then once you experience it, you're like, oh, I know. It's like someone who's in love, and you're like, how did you know you were in love? They're like, oh, I just knew. Like, that didn't help me. Like, sorry. It was experienced. Like, I knew, and then I knew. Yeah, but how did you know? Because I knew. It's human experience. That's all Thomas is saying here. And then the painter in 1600 is like, wow, I can't believe he just didn't believe and take their word for it. Really? Like, like, he was looking and could have very potentially been like, no fair. The 10 of you got something I didn't get. Brutal. No fair. 
He just said, I just want to actually experience it for myself. It's not that I don't want to believe. It's not that he said, I will never believe. I have incredulity. He said, I just, like, unless, unless it's for me, then I just don't think it's for me. But, but check out what it says. I think this is the key to the whole thing. It says, a week later, the disciples were in the house together, and Thomas was there. How cool is that? Even though he didn't believe them, they still stayed friends. If you catch nothing else, catch that. They're like, we just saw Jesus. It's the craziest thing that's ever happened in our life. He's like, ah, maybe. You think you did. I don't think you did. And then like, oh, cool. Want to eat some pizza? Guys, this is licensed to have friendships with people who believe different things. Oh, my goodness. That you like, you can just be friends. Like, yeah, that's, that's true. I guess it would make sense. I, like, I guess we do have an advantage you don't have. We saw him. Should we eat some pizza? He stayed in friendship. I, I, I think, man, we just divide too, too quick. I, I know people I've seen even this week, people like throwing darts on social media. If you believe this, then you don't belong. What are we talking about? Just be friends. Like, like Jesus is a big boy. He can work this out. You know what I mean? It says that they were all together in a house, and then Jesus showed up again. Why did he show up? For Thomas. Like, Jesus isn't mad at Thomas the doubter. Thomas is his friend. And so it says a week later they were there. Thomas was there. The doors were, were locked, but then Jesus came and stood among them. So he walked through the walls. Hello. And then he said to this, peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas. He said, hey, Thomas, put your fingers here in my hands. Reach out your hand. Put them in my side. Stop doubting. Believe. And so what did Thomas do? Ready? It's crazy. You won't believe this. So Thomas stopped doubting and believed. And he said, you're my Lord and my God. And then 1900 years later, like, yeah, but you needed to experience it. We all need to experience it. Like, don't we all need to experience God's love for ourselves before we believe? Like, we all need to have that moment where the love of God as grace is applied to our life and by faith we take hold of it and we're like, whoa, now I get it. Now I know. Like, Thomas is just a precursor to the experience we'll all have had the opportunity to have. If you're here today, maybe you have not yet had that experience. I'm praying you do before you leave today. And so Thomas, Jesus, in his kindness and his mercy, he's like, oh, man, Thomas was missing. I know. He goes to bed early. I'm going to have to show up earlier. I'll go to their lunch party. And he shows up there, and he's like, hey, Thomas, guys, everyone be at peace. Thomas, bro, what do you need? Hands? Side? I, like, I want you to believe. Whatever it takes. Just, I don't, doubt's not a, ha- a great place to be. So I just want to tip the scales here for you. Touch my hand. Touch my side. We good? And Thomas like, yeah, we're good. That's all I needed. I just needed personalized experience. It wasn't that I didn't believe the things you said. It wasn't that I, I don't trust my friends. I just wanted to experience it for myself. You are God. You are the way. It's the most profound statement of the divinity of Christ in the whole book of John was made right here by Thomas, the doubter. No, no, no. Thomas, the man of faith, like, like the guy who believed, the guy who, who didn't quit because he doubted. He stayed in relationship He stayed in friendship. He waited until it made sense. And then he went and changed the world. That Thomas. And Jesus says then to Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you saw me. And blessed are those who will believe even though they don't. And we read tone into this. And we're like, whoa, Jesus just threw serious shade. No, he didn't. He was just talking about us. 
Like how cool. Thomas, his story is like this precursor into our story. Where he's like, guess what, Thomas? You believe because you experienced me. And now as you go out into the world, people will experience something through you. And hundreds of years later in India, they'll be like, that was Thomas's mountain. Because you will make a difference in the world around you if you can just take this message of the love of God to the people around you. And then John says this. Jesus did a whole bunch of things, guys. If you wrote them all down, they'd fill all the books and all the libraries and all the world. But these things are written that you could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you could have life in his name. Like the story of Thomas, is the, it's, the, it's the setup for the gospel to the world. Like we, we chose these things so that if you feel like a Thomas, you feel scared, but you take that one little step of faith from fear into faith, you're a believer. You're going to experience life in his name. Like a Thomas, if you say, so I got questions. I, 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 like, should I ask this question? I don't understand that if you're willing to ask your question, that you're going to believe and you're going to have life in his name. And if you're like Thomas and you say, I just want personalized experience, is that too much to ask? Not at all. That is how the gospel is applied, by the way. Person by person by person by person. Experience by experience by experience. And, and, and like Thomas, when you have that moment, of realization where the love of God is not just a theory that, that his grace is the, the person of Jesus Christ loving your life, then you too can say you're my Lord and my God. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.